without further ado. That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden, you feel like you can't miss. I'm going to just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Welcome to Buckets. I'm your host, Matt Moore, senior NBA writer for the Action Network. If you are looking to track your bets, if you want to know more about betting, if you want to be the smartest sports better that you can be, you need to get the Action Network app. It is absolutely the best way for you to get all the information. We'll have all of our win total stuff on there, our preseason futures bets. We're diving into stuff like seeding over-unders and make the play-in odds. We were going to have you absolutely covered for the start of NBA season over at Action Network, and you can get all of our coverage on the Action Network app. You can also track your bets. You're going to find out where the money's coming in. You're going to find out where the sharps are coming in. You're going to find out what the system plays and trends say. All of that for all the sports that you bet. Make sure to do it. And you can follow our guys, Raheem Palmer and Brandon Anderson, as they continue. Raheem had an absolutely phenomenal NFL weekend. So did I, by the way. I needed it bad. I bombed the first two weeks. But still, you can do all that in the Action Network app. I also want to tell you that if you enjoy this podcast, you're going to love the other Action Network podcasts on our network, including Big Bets on Campus. Look, I, I try and follow college football, and there's so much information, it's hard for me. Colin Wilson and Stucky do the best job of any two I've seen in anything. I've listened to a lot of college football pods. Those guys are incredible in their level of detail, analysis, and they do it all with a gambling hook. The hotline on Mondays is hilarious. Make sure to check out Big Bets on Campus. Also, the Action Network podcast is where all of our NFL A's. Our guys, Raheem Palmer and Brandon Anderson, have three shows a week on there. Absolutely check that out. The hot read is essential for getting in early looks at where the bets are going to be and where you want to be ready to make bets when those lines first come out and in on look ahead lines, it's absolutely terrific. And then look, I've been listening to Stucky and Raybon on their pick six show forever. They do such a great job on the Sunday six pack It is you just get such high quality picks. And a lot of the reason that I was profitable last weekend is I trusted those guys advice. Make sure to check those out as well as all the other great pods on our network. You can enjoy that there. Today's guest, Alex Christensen, AKA noobs returns. Alex, so you were so awesome on our Eastern Conference win totals preview that I was I was like, I don't want to do West with anybody else. I just want to come back and do them with Aww. Alex again. So thanks for coming on again. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be back. We had a great time doing the East. Let's get through the West here. It should be interesting, maybe a little less interesting in the East overall, but that might be my Philadelphia bias. I had a, a harder time, I will say this, with finding best bets in the West. Like there's a lot of t- there's a lot of totals I think I'm gonna bet. And there's a lot of props I think I'm going to bet. Like there's, uh, which I'm very excited about. Books have released over under seating. And I'm going to be taking, I think, a lot of those uh, because those numbers look pretty juicy. But uh, win totals is tough. This Western Conference, I don't think, is as good as it has been in recent, like over the duration of the last, I don't know, the, the average strength of the conference over the last 15 years. We've been saying over and over, like, this is the year the East is better. This is the year the East is better. I do kind of think that this is probably the year that the East is better. I think you could argue last year, even with the injuries, uh, and that's part of it, and that's what complicates things. Um, let's start here, though. Let's. What is your – I like to do the best bets at the top. What is your number one overall strongest best bet for Western Conference win totals? I am going to be hard against the Clippers. I don't understand – what the market's thinking with some of these Clippers numbers. As I look at the win total, you know, my best bet here is I'm going under. I was able to think get a 45 and a half, 44 and a half looks great. 
Um, I have this team projected to win less than 40 games. Wow. Also played a little bit of sprinkle on them to miss the playoffs at plus 300. You look at this roster, you look at some of the changes they made this summer. And what I see is a team that I think knows it has a little bit of security in this year. They were able to tie down Kawhi for four years, um, made a couple moves to get Beverly out of there, clear up some cap room and things. And then you look at this roster. I mean, who's going to be the second leading scorer? Reggie Jackson, Eric Bledsoe. Um, those are your starting guards next to Paul Pierce, Marcus Morris Sr. and Zubac. You look at the bench, it's pretty much the same guys from last year, but everyone's a little bit older. Yes, Terrence Mann seems like a nice piece. Maybe Luke Kennard will do whatever they thought he was going to do when they signed him to that big deal. But the roster looks really rough to me up and down. Everyone's starting to get older. I think, again, in those offseason moves I mentioned, I see signs of a team that might not be totally focused on winning this year. So I'm going to be going against the Clippers, despite the fact that the market has them as above 500, kind of in the playoff spots. You look at some of the lines um, that they already have for week one, and the Clippers lines look kind of odd. So Clippers under for me is my best bet. You know, we, we mentioned last week when we were talking about the Nets that I wanted to wait for an alternate, and I'm going to be looking for alternates here on this as well, where I lean a little bit to the over, but I will say that I think there's probably value on, if you like the under, like see if you see if you will find a book that will provide an alternate win total and take an under under 40 wins like for them to be a sub 500 team because i think the answer here is if you're the clippers and it's late in the season and you're chugging along and you're at like a 42 43 win pace which in the west probably gets you play in eighth ninth do you really want to go and push for that or do you want to be like you know what Kawhi's not coming back this season. Things haven't gone right. We have whatever injury issues that we had. It just hasn't really come together. Let's go ahead and regroup for next season. I think that they're more likely, like Kawhi's comments to me were interesting in that I have heard consistently that he is not returning this season. That was like the word I got consistently from like league people and folks that cover the Clippers. And like everyone I've talked to is like, you know, there's been no official word. Nothing set in stone, but I don't expect to see him. And then on media day, Kawhi was, was asked why he took the multi-year deal. And he said, if I took the one and one, I would feel more pressure to sit out because I'd be going into a free agency season. And so I wanted to sign a multi-year deal because I think I might want to try and play this season. And I was like, oh, well, that's the kind of uncertainty that I don't want to hear on this. Like, it's Kawhi. How as he comes back, though? I mean, yeah, we're talking like, March-April time frame with a month left in the season? Right. It might be over by then. Right. That's the, that's the thing. Is like, you're telling me that Kawhi Leonard's going to come back straight into the playoffs? That, one, the Clippers are going to want him to do that? But even if he, if he says that, that even if they, they are okay with that, would he want to do that? Like, that doesn't vibe with anything Kawhi's ever done with his body. That's not how he's operated. You know, I do believe that Paul George found something in terms of a leadership role last season. Like the team really bought into PG's our guy. Essentially, I don't mean to like pin it all on these two, but like, I think a lot of it was Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell didn't believe in PG because those two guys were left over from the previous team. And like everybody else are PG's guys. Like Reggie Jackson's a PG guy. Mark, Mark, Marcus Morris is a PG guy. And like, uh, there's so many guys on this team that are PG guys. And that... I think helps with PG being the leader and the best player on the team. But again, like their schedule is brutal. Like their schedule, it doesn't on the surface level, it doesn't look that bad. Um, however, they have five sets 
of five games in seven nights. That is significantly more than anybody else in the league. They have the ninth most six and nines too. Yep. Uh, They have more rest disadvantage games than rest advantage games. And they're tied for the second most back-to-backs. So like the schedule is not good. And if you, if you look at those rest situations and go, those are situations where PG is probably not playing. You're out basically 70 to $75 million in salary on the floor that night. You just, it's just difficult to make that, that differential up. So I, I ultimately think this is going to be a stay away for me uh, at 45 and a half. I thought my initial impression was like, I like the over, this team's still very good. I think instead I'm going to stay away and look for maybe an alternate under at somewhere closer to 40. I can't, I can't fault you for wanting to take the under after I did a deeper dive. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going at with the missed the playoffs bet. I think that that's kind of the ultimate alt-under. Um, again, that was right around yeah. plus 300 or so when I bet that. So like the alt-unders, like that, again, I just I see a roster that is going to struggle to score and is going to struggle, I think, with age and injury and does, won't have a lot of motivation. So Clippers under is my best bet. So my best bet uh, for the Western Conference is the Nuggets over 47 and a half. Uh, Denver is without Jamal Murray. Uh, I do not care. I do not care that they're without Jamal Murray because the way I view the regular season is, are you built in such a way that your floor is high enough for you to consistently succeed versus the worst teams in the league versus the bad teams, the teams that are worse than you is actually more specifically how it's built. And the nuggets are absolutely built to do so. They have been just terrific in those spots they were 26 and 8 against teams under 500 last season uh tied for the second best record against the bad teams in the western conference there's a bunch of teams in that range the clippers would have finished above them if they tried at the end of the season but denver uh also kind of pulled some strings throughout the season as well um they're just really good they have the sixth best record versus the middle 10 as well so their record versus the good teams wasn't bad. It was average for the teams in their rank, but they were really solid versus those teams that were bad. And that's, I think there's even room for improvement there. You've got Aaron Gordon for a full training camp. They'll integrate him more into the offense. He's looked awesome in the open runs. Michael Porter Jr. Likely takes a step forward this season, just from experience and, and, you know, time played. He's healthy by all accounts. Uh, he's coming in good. Will Barton says he's the healthiest that he's been. They'll get banged up, but they've also been really good in spots where they've been hurt. They have the second easiest schedule per positive residual rest adjusted. Now, some of that's altitude, Utah and Denver are number one and two, uh, but they're also tied for the fewest back-to-backs in the league. They have a front-loaded schedule, which makes me a little nervous, um, but it also means that I expect there to be some problems when Jamal Murray comes back because reintegrating that big of a usage guy into your offense oftentimes has complications. Having an easier schedule, I think, is going to soften that blow a little bit. Their back half of their schedule is exceptionally easy. They also have more back-to-backs early in the season when you have more rest. Like If we look at any sort of against the spread or or performance metric, teams do better against back-to-backs early in the season because they're not as tired. So Denver's hardest part is when they're going to be at their best. Uh, Jokic has been so durable. I got no reason to have injury concerns about him. Knock on wood. I love Denver's over at 47 and a half. I like them to be a 50 plus win team. Yeah. Love what you said about the schedule. No six and nines, no five and sevens. Um, I believe they have the least amount of three and fours and three and four back to backs, things like that. 
they will have a little bit less of a home court advantage because everyone else will have fans as opposed to last year. You kind of had, you know, the altitude teams were really the big home court advantage teams. I like what you said about Aaron Gordon, having an off season to add him in and integrate him could be really nice. There should be a bounce back. The injury luck should be a little bit better. It was one of those teams. I'm gonna have to go back and revisit. I lean towards the over. I had him then pegged about one game over or so the projection, but the more I look at it um, and think about the team, and again, the, the injury stuff is going to be really important if they can, you know, keep at least two of their guards healthy for most of the season. I mean, last year it was just tough finding guys to plug in. I do like what they did during the off season. Paul Millsap is a solid player, but, you know, looked kind of overmatched for the role they expected him to play there. They bring in Jeff Green. We saw he can be a positive contributor. I'm curious to see what um, Bones Highland can do. He might actually be one of the more interesting cards on that team right away. So overall, a pretty solid team. And like you said, a lot of reasons to like that schedule. Michael Malone has hit the over every full season. If you throw out the COVID season, the interrupted, the interrupted season where they were on pace before the bubble when they were without half their team, uh, every other season in his six seasons with the Nuggets, he's, his team has hit the over. So like that. That's, that's mine. What's your second best bet for the Western Conference? Second best bet for the Western Conference. It's another under here going under in the Portland Trail Blazers. Again, this number looks like it's about 44 and a half, 43 and a half. Either one of those numbers look solid to me. I have them at 41, almost 40 wins, depending mm-hmm. on you know what things I end up tweaking here. I've done a couple different versions, but uh, look at the team. They fired Terry Stotts, who was a very good coach. Bring in a new guy and, you know, maybe the the voice in the locker room, all that kind of stuff's going to matter. But I think it's a team that really kind of bent over backwards trying to placate Dame Lillard, who asked for a trade and then unasked for a trade and, you know, seems to have varying level of interest. But they lose Carmelo Anthony, they lose Zach Collins, but he never really played all that much anyway. Um, Some solid bench guys in RHJ, Derek Jones, Enos Cantor, you know, again, not the greatest playoff guy, but night to night, someone who really gives you a solid 20 minutes. Look at some of the guys they bring in to try to replace that. Patrick Patterson, Ben McLemore, Marquise Chris is going to get another run at this point. Um, Dennis Smith Jr. again continues to play. Cody Zeller. Overall, the roster looks worse to me. Again, everybody got gets a year older, and I do wonder how engaged Dame Lillard is. So happy to take some unders here and again also play them to miss the playoffs as a way of kind of doing an all-thunder since those aren't open yet. I'm going to have to go against you on this one. Um, and this is mostly because I am captain of the Cody Zeller fan club. It's me and one person <laughs> from Charlotte and that's it. And his mom. And that's, that's the three that's people that big. have little flags for the Cody Zeller fan club. Um, Two more than I thought. Cody Zeller last season was top five among bigs in defensive efficiency when switching. This is like a very narrow stat, right? Like, okay. Centers who switch, who played a certain amount of minutes. The reason I like this so much is you need versatility defensively and Portland has struggled so much with that. My personal belief is that you cannot build a quality defense with Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic. Dame can't get over the center. Nurkic can't play at the level. Nurkic can't switch. Dame can't switch. You have to play drop. They tried playing some blitz last season. It was a disaster. Uh, So Stotts went progressively more and more towards back to, to pure drop coverage. Nurkic is not good in drop coverage. It's tough for him to make multiple rotations. He just wants to kind of make one thing and, and be really impactful there. Dame really struggles getting over screens, but the offense is so good with the starters. It doesn't really matter. Like with Norman Powell, like their offense always had plot positive numbers with Dame and Nurkic on the floor, just because Dame CJ Powell can cook as long as you have another shooter. And they do Tony Snell was look, 
it was not nearly the number of attempts. I am just saying that relative to his role, and if you just look at like pure guys that shot at least a certain number of jumpers last season, Tony Snell was the most efficient jump shooter in the league last season. I don't expect that to sustain. I don't even think he'll be top 10. But if Tony Snell is just like a quality shooter off the bench, I'd rather have Tony Snell who doesn't hold the ball and try and do anything than Carmelo Anthony that wants to do, like he would make one three-pointer, tap his dome, and then go back to, ooh, I'm going to jab step, jab step, jab step. And having guys that are more, they know their roles and they function purely there, I think is actually better for this team. The inside word from the league is no one expects Dane traded until the offseason. They think that, look, if the Blazers surprise everybody and Chauncey Billups is a, is a phenomenal coach of the year candidate, then Dane buys back in. If they go through this season and they wind up in the exact same place that they've been, which I do expect them to flame out again in the playoffs because, again, because of the defense, that's when Dame's going to be like, I told you it was the roster. You didn't make any major changes. You didn't believe me. I'm out. But this year, I think that he's safe. And it's just like, look, Dame, CJ, Nurk, has been a plus 500 team almost every season. Billups is a wild card for me. It's either going to, I think it's either going to be really good or really bad. So honestly, like if, if you're looking for, if you believe in the over, you probably want to look at Billups coach of the year odds. Uh, Cause he'll get a lot of, of credit from the, from the players as well, or from the voters as Definitely. well, because Shanti was always a great quote. So in general, I have to say, I disagree I there's always this this thing with Portland. The, here's the other problem. I bet against Portland so many times, Alex. <laughs> so many times have I been like, this team's not good, and then they just go they go on this ten game winning streak or something like a seven game winning streak in January or February when they're facing teams whose best player is out. I can't get burned again, Alex. I can't do it. Yeah, the schedule is the other thing I forgot to mention. They have the second most six and nines. I think they're tied for the most five and sevens. And being mm. in Portland. Every game's a travel issue. So a lot of that stuff piles up. I did forget to mention Larry Nance Jr. I think that is a good addition. I do like some of the points you make about the roster and the locker room being a little bit better and the, the backups that they're bringing in more kind of knowing their role. But I would like this team if Terry Stotts was the coach. I think a lot of it does come down to Billups and not just Billups and his ability, but what the organization is showing us by making that decision, by going away from a guy in Terry Stotts who's been there, who's helped build that team, who has been, you know, a plus EV, an above average coach year in and year out, and to dump him because, you know, Dame Willard was unhappy for a little bit. Uh, seems a little dubious to me. My second best bet for the Western Conference, you got unders, uh, I've got overs. So I've got another over here and it's, the Jazz are at 51 and a half. What the fuck? Um, look, <laughs> they don't lose anyone except Derek Favors, who had the worst net rating of any of the players in the like top eight rotation. I love Faves. I think he's amazing. I think he's going to like wind up getting traded to a contender and help them. Love Faves. He didn't play well last year. He struggled. Um, but specifically, like, look, the Jazz last season had a per 82 Pythagorean expected of, I think, 67. So we're talking about a 16-game win regression year over year? 16? Based off of the Pythagorean expectation? It's really tough. I mean, like you said, it's, it's the same roster, but on some level, it's the same roster. This is year three, I guess, year two and a half of this we're putting together. You know, again, everybody gets a year older. You know, 
Donovan Mitchell continues to struggle with injury. Rudy Gobert continues to look limited against certain teams. Mike Conley, again, I wonder how much his body can hold up to what he's doing here. And like you said, they had a really great season last year, but I think part of it was having the, the just the right combination of kind of stuff. We looked at A, being one of the teams with elevation, having real home court advantage, B, for most of the season until the very end, they were pretty injury averse. They were able to kind of manage around things. They only lose guys for a few games here and there. It was a fairly deep team and they were just kind of blitzing everybody night in and night out. And I'm optimistic and I, th I think they can possibly do it again. But, you know, as I start to look at some of my projections, I had them right at 53 wins, um, you know, maybe another one or two in there, depending on which version I look at. The schedule's not too bad, you know, middle of the pack in terms of bad rest spots. They do have the third most six and nines, which isn't great. And it looks like the least amount of games with two nights rest. They have the third fewest rest disadvantage games this season. I thought that was notable to be a positive residual. Uh, before Christmas. So here's another one. I like teams that are going to jump out to early leads. I got the Nuggets who have a, like a soft, easy, uh, a, an easy back end of the schedule. The Jazz have an absolutely ridiculously easy front of the schedule. 18 yeah. of 31 at home, two rest disadvantage games before Christmas. That's it. They have two games where they're at a rest disadvantage before Christmas. They're going to jump out to a huge lead and be able to coast. They can regress by, it was 57 and a half, by the way, was the expected mark. They can regress by 14 wins and still clear this over by three. Like, to me, this is a no-brainer. You mentioned the injuries. I will say this. Uh, I looked at mangameslost.com, and they had the eighth fewest games lost to injury, but they had the 10th highest VORP. So, they okay. lost Mitchell and they lost Conley over the back half of that season. And they did struggle a little bit. Like they could have easily like chipped up there towards a 70 win pace without those injuries to those guys, because they were just absolutely killing teams. The other thing is, is look, they, they made some, the media day comments were interesting from a playoff perspective, because it was basically, look, we got together and we acknowledged that we can't be the same team. We can't be so dependent on scheme. We can't be a one scheme team. And that's, that's really good. Now, there's a chance that that means they experiment in season and that might chip off some of this. Like their media day comments make me slightly more positive on their playoff outlook. But ultimately, I just can't, I can't reconcile a 51 and a half performance versus a 67 and a half performance per 82 last year uh, without missing, without any major injuries going into the season without any major rotation players gone like there is they they excel in the regular season because of their scheme they're still able to rely on that night in and night out they're too solid to me they, they've got to be a best bet for me for the over yeah i think you're on the right side of that again i'll maybe go back and tell you on that like, like i said i lean towards the over there's a lot of good things there but like you said i think what they were talking about in press conferences is hitting the nail on the head they either continue to be a one-dimensional team which means everybody has a euro footage to kind of look at or Maybe they experience a little bit of what we saw from Milwaukee last year. They kind of punt a little bit on being a great regular season team so they can try out some new schemes. So just a couple things hold me back, but I like where your head's at overall. Uh, what's your third best bet? Third best bet here. And this one concerns me a little bit because it's actually been bet up. Um, the Minnesota Timberwolves under 35 and a half games. This was 33 and a half games, I think just a couple of weeks ago. Um, maybe somebody knows something that I don't know. I don't know if you know something I don't know. And, I've been talking to some people. I'm not sure who's coming in and betting this. Um, if I figure it out, I'll be sure to let you guys know. Overall, it's it's 
you know, the starting five is okay. I think they're going to be happy having Malik Beasley for a year. I think that that's going to make a big difference, but Anthony Edwards, I think it's going to have to take a monumental step forward in year two for this team to really be competitive, to really get to that 35, 36 win level. We see the Carl Anthony Towns every year is really fun to own in a fantasy league. He's not fun to have on a basketball team. I mean, he's not someone that contributes positively to winning. We continue to see him struggle. D'Angelo Russell, is he going to start? Is he going to play on the bench? I'm curious to see what Patrick Beverly does here. I don't know if this is a place he's going to be or he's going to get moved out, but I wonder if we have almost like a mini Jimmy Butler situation where he's kind of running around the locker room, trying to figure out why everyone's not trying harder or doing better night in, night out. It just, there's a lot of reasons as I look at this team, we're going to have a new coach. I think people were heartened by what Finch was able to do at the end of the year last year, but I think that's a small sample size against a version of the league that wasn't totally locked in and winning as you start to go back through and look at some of those games and that hypothetical success. Um, we see some turmoil in the front office as well. You know, that stuff generally doesn't make it down to the locker room, but we'll see. We'll see what's going to happen with the change there, what they're trying to do. Again, just overall a roster that I really don't like as I look through my projections again, I think that kind of the middle bottom of the West is a little more solid this year and they're going to struggle to beat some teams. I mean, even a team like Memphis, I think has gotten to be a little bit better and is going to kind of outpace them. I think the Pelicans should be more solid with less injuries. We'll see kind of what the Kings can do um, with Halliburton for a full season. But again, the Timberwolves for me, I just, you look at them and, and the rest of the spot isn't too bad. You know, one of the things we keep talking about, I've been betting unders on a lot of teams with adverse schedules doesn't look too bad. They have a lot of rest spots here. The travel's not too bad, even though Minnesota's kind of a tough spot to be. But overall, given the conference they're in, looking at their some of the holes I see in their starters, as well as kind of the thin roster overall, I mean, one or two injuries here, and I think this could go way under, um, let alone just the slight under I have expected so far. So again, I like that we disagree because that's how it should be. It makes for better content. Uh, it makes me nervous about going against you. <laughs> uh, I just bet this morning at, at FanDuel, they have uh, Timberwolves play-in tournament appearance at plus 200. And I bet the Timberwolves to make it, to basically finish between seven and 10. Um, I like that. Yeah. Plus 200 just to make the play-in. That's, that's just, an interesting Just market. the play-in. So if they yeah. make the if they get higher, you're out. If they get lower, you're out. So you're trying to hit a four a four team window. Oh, so if they're like fourth, fifth, sixth seed for some bizarre reason, you lose that bet. Oh, okay, that changes a little. So, bit. That's that's really interesting. So if they're if they're right much there. better than I expect, I'm going to yeah. lose, uh, which is why <laughs> I'm probably going to be betting the over on them as well to kind of cover that. Here's kind of like the argument. Um, my the everything to me boils down to this. I covered Chris Finch in the G League a decade ago. Uh, I talked to him on the phone several times when he was with various teams. Uh, I kept up with him when he was in the league uh, through various people, just like asking how he was doing and stuff like that. He was in Denver and I saw the impact that he had on Denver's offense. I saw the impact that he had on New Orleans offense. And then I saw it in his limited sample last season. You're right that you have to contextualize those wins in terms of what the other team was doing. What I would say is if you dig in and you look at the biggest difference that coaching I think can make besides preparedness is do they look like they know what the fuck they're doing? This was the biggest difference in the Suns once Monty Williams got there is you saw the Suns and Monty Williams yes. and you were like, oh, they look like an actual basketball team. Like this is what it should look like. Because the difference if you go from back bad and, coach to average coach is huge. huge. It's really understated. 
And I think Chris Finch is a good coach. And I think Ryan Saunders was beloved by the organization and is a good dude. But I do think he was in over his head. And two, and I honestly think a lot of it was like there was too many emotional ties versus like Chris Finch has is is been doing this a long time. He's been around the block. He's coached a lot of different situations. The stuff that he showed with Towns, he showed a better capacity to get the best out of Towns than anybody else has. The trade dynamics are something I'm still trying to, trying to like wrap my brain around because the most obvious candidate for a Ben Simmons trade is D'Angelo Russell. But D'Angelo Russell is best friends with Cat and good friends with Simmons. So you would think that those guys would be like, we want to play together, uh, which would mean that in that they went to Cat and was like, all right, what do, what do you think about this? He would probably push for, even though he likes him, Anthony Edwards to get dealt. Daryl Morey's not trading Ben Simmons for like Malik Beasley and pieces. That's not that even, even draft pieces. It's not happening. You have to, but I will say there's a capacity for somebody else who has something to be like, we'll take the Wolves assets because we don't think that they'll be good. We'll give you our star. And then you go, and then you trade Simmons to, to, to the Wolves. I could see a three-team trade happening. Yeah, or even Beasley, Edwards, and a bunch of picks, something like that. But yep. yeah, it's, it's interesting, and we'll see if Simmons gives up on his idea of playing in L.A. I, my big problem with the roster, though, is you really you look at the backups. I mean, there's going to be a lot of Josh Okoge, a lot of Jared Vanderbilt, a lot of Jalen Noel. Nas Reed was a really nice kind of G League backup guy for the Sixers last year. He looks like he's in line for a lot of minutes. And yeah. I don't think those are things that I'd be thrilled to say about a team that I'm excited about. Yeah. And it's, it, I think part of this is also just like, can you convince you? Like, I like Jaden McDaniels a lot. I believe in Jaden McDaniels, like 36% from three last season. Uh, I, I think he's got real capacity to be a, a contributor. I like McDaniels. A lot of this is like basically, can their starters be good enough for them to get into coin flip situations versus the middle 10? And can they be pretty good? versus the bad teams the jump here i don't think is is massive i still think the number is a little bit low um i understand why you're going under because it's like sometimes these teams are just it's like i the nba the nba doesn't have the same edge on unders that the nfl has but the bad teams usually do like you can usually just like take the teams that are historically bad that have been bad for the last decade and just keep banging their unders and it will work out for you over the long term. But for whatever reason, I had the Wolves and Kings circled as my like, I think these are the teams that are going to surprise people. And then I looked at the Kings roster and was like, nope, that's not going to do that. So uh, <laughs> I'm left with just the Wolves. Uh, my final one is actually an under as well. It's the Suns. Less confident in this one makes me a little bit nervous, but I've decided to go ahead and commit to it. Uh, the over-under is 51 and a half the you can make the argument that you're I, if i'm saying wait wait the jazz were so good last year and they're going to take this massive step backwards well the suns were the second best team in the league are they going to take this massive step backwards the problem is that the pythagorean expectation on the suns was actually lower like they were positive in that area and so they're probably looking at a little bit of regression there they had the third fewest games lost last season per man games lost and the fourth fewest win shares their injury luck especially given cp3 was exceptional spectacular so the suns are going to be more hurt this season uh they were nine and three in three-point games they were uh two and a half above expectation um and then here here's like the really the key one I've, I've mentioned this a lot in these two podcasts i circle in on how did you perform versus those bad teams the Suns were surprisingly mediocre versus sub 500 teams. Um, they were 24 and 10. 
usually in an 82 game season, if you lose 10 games versus sub 500 teams in the Western conference, that's been a dividing line for the playoffs. Their, the reason that their record was so good was they were absolutely berserk versus the top 10 teams in point differential. They had by far the best record in those games. They went 17 and seven in that, in those spots. Most, most of those games, even for the good teams, it's roughly around five. It's more 500 ish. If you have a really great season, like the Suns did, you think you'll go like 14 and 10, which is that's what their Pythagorean expectation per clean the glass was in those games versus the top 10 teams in point differential 14 and 10. They were three games better than that at 17 and seven. They're not going to be as good versus the top teams. They're not going to be as healthy. Um, Devin Booker had the longest stretch of his career played in the bubble two months off 72 games. He played in a large number of them long playoff run his first deep playoff run immediately into the Olympics one month off into the season, even for a guy as young as he is, that's a lot of basketball. That's just a lot of basketball. So if we, if we said that there's an increased fatigue risk for Devin Booker, and there's a, got to be an increased injury concern for Chris Paul after a fully healthy season last year. A little bit of regression from Cameron Payne shooting, which I think is pretty reasonable. I like campaign. I thought it was an awesome story. D- duplicating that kind of success is difficult. And I think that we're getting more into this team projects to me more as like a 47 to a 50 win team rather than, than a 51 and a half plus. I think they'll still be good. I still think they'll be a top five seed in the West. I still think they will be be trouble come playoffs if Chris is around. But to me, I think there's value on the under. Yeah, I had them right about their number just to touch over. Again, I'm really bullish on any team that has the ability to put two scoring guards on the floor. I saw what you did as well about their record against top teams versus lower teams. Went back and looked at that. and, And I think part of the reason the injury... Um, luck was so good. They were great at managing those games. You look at minutes against lower teams, you know, Paul or Booker would be out. The minutes would be way down, things like that. It's a very deep team. I love the cams, Payne and Johnson off the bench. I'm actually curious to see if Cam Johnson at any point can push Crowder to try to get some of those starting minutes. Um, you know, DeAndre Ayton continues to get better and better. Landry Shamit's kind of one of my favorite fun little players. I think he's going to be nice off the bench for a full season. And Michael Bridges keeps getting better. But but I agree. And, and you know, it's kind of the same way I felt cautious to be cautious about your Utah over. I don't think anyone should really be chasing the Phoenix over here. I don't know if I would bet the under, but I think, again, Utah and Phoenix are going to be these two teams that were top of the league last year and kind of slide down a little bit. I agree that Utah probably should be a little bit better, but I'm not as bearish on Phoenix. Let's burst through the rest of the divisions. Let's start with the Southwest and we'll talk about, let's start with the Dallas Mavericks 48 and a half. Alex, this is, this is, this team is, it keeps me up nights because I have two competing forces, the incredible awesomeness of Luka Doncic versus the incredible suck of Jason Kidd. And I do not know (laughs) how to battle between those two things. Uh, Kidd has come out. This is what we've learned from Jason Kidd in media day. He wants Chris asked Porzingis to start at the four, which that's fine. Carlisle had him do the same thing last year a lot, but he also wants him to play more in the mid range and more in the post. The two areas in which Chris asked Porzingis is specifically not as good or as valuable. Not only that, you're not only losing value on what KP brings. Why on earth would you want to cramp spacing for Luka Doncic? Why would you be like, we want to take this team can't defend. We know that they can't defend. If kid tries that blitz scheme again, 
you can play at the level. You can't you can't play as aggressively as they did without getting absolutely burned. They also don't have quick enough wing defenders to recover to the corners on threes. They're going to give up a metric ton of threes. So the offense might get worse and the defense is going to be still bad. But Luka Doncic is amazing. What do I do here? It's the biggest coaching downgrade, I think, of any team this year. And I think based on that alone, you shouldn't be betting the over. Maybe find some alts. Maybe just take Luka to be MVP, something like that. But Kid is going to make this team worse. I think the roster is about the same, maybe a little bit better. I, you know, it depends on how you feel about Reggie Bullock, basically, versus Josh Richardson. But if Luka Doncic gets hurt for a week, even a, a month, even a couple of weeks here, this gets ugly fast. So I, I think if you're looking at this, if you like the Mavericks, take like a Luka MVP or something like that. If you don't like the Mavs, look to miss the playoffs, look for alt-unders and stuff like that. I mean, it's it's brutal. Like this one is just really tough to decipher because usually with guys – like Luca got off to a rough start last season because he was out of shape. Right. Even the division odds, you're laying two ten for the division. Don't do that. Don't do I, it. I don't like it because I'm high on the Memphis Grizzlies. I like Memphis Grizzlies over at forty one and a half. They did lose JV, which makes me nervous. I, I think that they, I think that they've seen enough from Tillman as a, in a backup, especially stretch five role, Jaron. This is a make or break season for Jackson. Jaws shot probably stabilizes more. He was really rough when he came back from injury and improved as the season went on. They have, in my opinion, one of the best bench units in the league with the Anthony Melton, Desmond Bain, and Tyus Jones. Their chemistry is good. Their attitude is good. Jaws a great leader. They have no vaccine. They have no COVID concerns because they're all vaxxed and like proudly so. I like the, the 41 and a half, I think, is golden here. I'm looking at playoff odds for them as well. I'm looking at division odds for the Grizzlies. Uh, I like this Grizzlies team quite a bit going into the season. Yeah, if you asked me for a fourth bet, it would have been Memphis over. You hit the nail on the head. I've already bet Morant to be most improved player. I think that, you know, the injury really held him back last year. He's going to be much better. As much as, you know, losing Valachunas, I think, from kind of a micro perspective is bad. From a macro perspective, it's going to force more minutes to Clark, more minutes to Jaron Jackson Jr., which is what you're going to need for this team to be good. This Grizzlies team was not going to achieve their maximum potential playing Valanchunas as many nights as they did. Yes, he's a great regular season player, put up some really nice numbers, both basic and advanced metrics, but you, tra- you take him out, you bring in somebody like Steven Adams, who I don't think is going to mind not playing very much. You know, I see him listed as the starting center. I don't think that's going to last. And I think he'll just be somebody good in the locker room, working these young guys, working Clark, working Jackson, working Tillman, and help pushing them you know, and this Memphis team more towards the future. But I love the bench. Like you said, it's a team that's 10, 11, 12 guys deep, depending on, you know, if everyone can stay healthy and that's what you're going to need. It's an 82 game season. Yes. It's not going to be as bad as last year, but it's off a condensed off season, off a condensed off season, you know, be careful people. I think we're going to see just as much injury nonsense as we've seen the last two years. Houston, New Orleans, and San Antonio are all stayaways for various reasons. I don't want to like. I think Houston's number is just too sharp at twenty-seven and a half. Um, I don't like New Orleans because I think the the variance on Zion performance is massive, and I do like some of the additions that they made. Like I think JV makes them better. Their young guys were looking good in summer league. They have upside, but their chemistry issues mean I don't feel good about an over. And then San Antonio, I expected the market to be higher based off of San Antonio's history of, of success and, and consistency. But instead, I think that like the numbers, the books have sharpened this pretty badly at 28 and a half. Um, I may look at San Antonio worst league in the in the league props if those come out, uh, worst record props, just because I think if anybody's going to tank, I think San Antonio might be able to commit to it as fully as anybody outside of OKC and maybe 
maybe the Orlando. Um, so I'll be looking at those, but San Antonio, their best player on roster makes $15 million a year. That's a warning sign. They don't have a defined best player. That's a warning sign. So Houston, New Orleans, and San Antonio are all no plays for me. Yeah, same. I think the Rockets are going to look like what we saw from the Thunder last year or the first half of the season. They're really competitive. It's a fun young group of guys to watch. And then as the season goes on, it kind of falls apart and they end up being one of the worst teams in the league. The Pelicans are a team that I've always been dubious of. Zion Williamson is really great, but I wonder about his body and that, that uh, his ability to play in the NBA, the way it's played today with how much movement and how much speed is required. Curious to see what they can do. Made some nice changes over the offseason, but that's a team I'm definitely going to want to watch for a couple of weeks before I decide to do anything. And you hit the nail on the head with the Spurs. It's a lot of really nice players, but as you start to look at it and realize who the best player, the best two players in the team are, it's, it's kind of sad. I mean, that would be a fun team, honestly. You know, We've talked about Ben Simmons a couple of times. I think it'd be interesting to see what he did there. Uh, Lakers, I'm on the over. I just think that they're a regular season stability is going to be very, very high. They've got a cake schedule. Russ, I think, improves their floor. They've got three superstars, so they can mix and match and rest one guy and still be pretty good. They had such bad injury luck last year, even if LeBron has another problem because he's getting up there in age and AD is AD. Russ and some dudes can beat teams like the Magic most nights. I don't love their roster. There are concerns. I have some worries there's a lot more issues from most people about the defensive end. I'm still worried about the offense. I think Vogel will get the defense to a pretty solid level. Um, I like the over just because I think it's still kind of low at 52 and a, at 52 and a half. If you can get a 51 and a half, even better. I'm not crazy about it, but I'm kind of leaning over. And then uh, Kings, I wanted to take the under man and it's 35 and a half. And here's the problem is Fox healed Marvin Bagley lineups are amongst the top 10 best in the league for guy for like under minute restrictions. Like their starters are pretty good. There's a chance that they fire Walton 10 games in. And if Alvin Gentry takes over, I'm going to wish I'd taken the over. I may bet the, I think I'm going to stay away because I can't stomach taking the over on the Kings. But like, this is like the big thing is if you told me Luke Walton was not the coach of this team and they had the same roster, I don't like them to win more than 41 games, but I don't necessarily know if I want to bet on them to lose to, to win less than 35 Lakers are a slight over Kings are uh, a slight over, I guess, for me. Kings number looked just about right. Again, it's a, kind of a solid roster. When you look at it, I'm a De'Aaron Fox fan. I think him and Halliburton can really do some fun stuff together. If they can hold on to the buddy healed, he's a nice piece in today's NBA. So I'm kind of leaving that one alone. The Lakers, I made two bets in kind of opposing directions. I bet Frank Vogel to be coach of the year. You look at this team, great chance to be top five because they're on a little bit of a down year last year. Great chance to improve year over year. And like you said, beat their regular season win total with Westbrook, who I think overall makes their team worse. But on those nights when you're missing some of those guys, um, will make a big difference. On the other end, I bet the Lakers to miss the playoffs at 14 to one. I think that we've started to finally see LeBron James starting to get old. You look at the last couple seasons, he's resting himself more. He's starting to pick up little injuries during the season. I mean, one of the really amazing things is for the first 15 years of his career, he basically never got hurt. And we're starting to see some of that creep in. Maybe, you know, finally being almost 40 years old is, is going to make a big difference here. Um, Anthony Davis takes off 15 to 20 games every year. Happens every year. Go back and look. It's absolutely amazing. And overall, I think the roster got a little bit thinner. I mean, I like bringing in Baysmore. Ellington's a nice piece. I think Dwight Howard's going to be solid. I'm actually optimistic about Carmelo Anthony. I, I played a little on him to be um, six man of the year, kind of as a fun bet. Kendrick Nunn's interesting, but 
to lose guys like Caruso, KCP, and Kuzma, I think is going to make not only a big difference in the, in the solidarity of the locker room, but the defensive downgrade that you're making from those guys to some of the other guys um, I talked about. You know, people have been talking about the shooting get worse. I think the shooting's about the same, but I think defensively and kind of overall talent of that bench got worse. So I'm looking at kind of extremes again, where if they're really good, I think Vogel's going to be Vogel's going to be a clear top three choice for coach of the year. And if things you know kind of start to fall off the rails here, I think it could get pretty ugly pretty quick. So. Um, also to miss the playoffs at 14 to one. So two pretty big numbers for me. Thunder 22 and a half. It's such a low number. Like I was confident in the magic going under. The problem is like the Thunder actually have talent. They have Shea, who's a better player than anybody on Orlando right now. Um, Poku is interesting and they continue to have a lot of confidence in like what he's going to be long-term. So if he just looks like a normal NBA player and not some sort of strange alien creature, then he could be an addition. Um, I like some of the various pieces that they've got kind of laying around there. They're, they have some like Dort's a good defender and turned into a shooter last year. Uh, And then the other kind of X factor here is I don't know if I want to take a 22 and a half when I just don't know enough about Josh Giddy. I just don't know like rookies don't impact winning that much, but he doesn't have to impact that much to take them from a 19 win to a 24 win team. And then the, you're dancing with it. To me, it just feels like it's too risky to take the total this low. Yeah. It's, it's an under pass for me. I mean, as you talked about it and it's something you see in the market every year, there's some value in going just under on all these low totals because you know, the total amount of wins is right. When you talk about the NFL, what you generally see is there's more wins than actually is capable in those win totals. But what I see in the NBA is there's, the high totals aren't as high enough. The low totals generally aren't as low enough. And this is a team that's very young. We know young teams don't generally win quite a bit. And if SGA goes down or anything happens to him, I mean, this is probably the worst roster in the NBA. And finally, I missed one during the Pacific one, and it's a, a very fascinating one. It's the Golden State Warriors at 48 and a half. I'm taking the over. I've got Warriors title futures. I've got Steph MVP futures. I'm not saying that this is like the lock. I just think that they're undervalued. I think that there's a lot of reticence and concern about a team that basically took the last two seasons off because one year they were rebuilding after KD uh, and Clay's injuries. And last year they kind of went for it. And especially just look after Wiseman and Ubre were removed, they were a really good team. And now they have a better roster. They just, they have got a better roster. Now they got, even if Otto Porter only plays 20 games for them, that's 20 games where he's better than any, than a lot of the guys that they had on roster last year, be elites will probably give them something. I was slow on Kaminga in terms of the draft. I bet over on his props because I knew he was the type of guy that would slip. I kind of liked what I saw from him in summer league. And I think that people may be thinking he's more raw. Look, the guy played in G league, which means he was already facing more refined talent than the guys in college did. And then uh, I like Moses Moody actually quite a bit to stabilize them until clay gets back in January. I'd feel better about it if clay was coming back immediately but I do think that this team can actually get there. Like I like the Warriors to be a 50 plus one team. I'm probably going to be betting their seating. Also, I believe it's four and a half. I'm going to be taking the under. I think I, I like them to be like a, a, a four or three or a four seed there. I think there's value on that. I like Golden State quite a bit this season. I do too. I've got some championship futures. We were able to grab some 14 and 15 to ones earlier in the off season. That's down to around 10 or 11. 
probably just outside of my range. Like you said, the team got better. Bringing in Belyitsa, even Avery Bradley will have a nice impact here. Kaminga and Moody, I'm curious to see if they play. But this is a team not only is really solid, but has a lot of assets to make a move if they want. You put Kaminga, Moody, and Wiseman together, and that's a really nice, interesting package for a team that has a star or a player that you might want. I think that there's a lot of versatility here. Like you said, Moody, if, they, if he is on the team for the season, it's going to help them bridge the gap to when Clay comes back. And at the end of the day, it's if we get Clay even at 80, 85% come playoff time, they have two of the five best shooters in the league, if not two of the, the two best shooters in the league. Draymond looked much better last year. I was actually um, kind of heartened by his general level of fitness, although you know the team wasn't maybe going 100% all season, but I thought he looked a lot better. And it's just overall, it's a really nice team, a group of guys that have played together, which is, I think, an underrated thing in the NBA these days. So I'm pretty bullish on them as well. Um, haven't bet them to win the division yet, but I'm circling that bet more and more each day. That's going to wrap it up for the Action Network podcast. Buckets, thanks for joining us. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Spotify or wherever you get podcasts. Also, Make sure to drop us a line. You can hit me on Twitter at HP Basketball. We're back next week with our win totals draft with Raheem Palmer and Brandon Anderson. Hope you guys are enjoying NBA Media Day, all the craziness. Everybody's in the best shape of their lives. Everybody's at 15 pounds of muscle. It's going to be a great season. We're three weeks away as I record this on Tuesday from the start of the NBA season. Cannot wait. Glad to have you guys along. We'll be back next week with another episode of Buckets. Buckets.